I'm going to, I'm going to show these libtards. I'm going to, you know, I'm right. going to own the libs by giving this book a one-star review. Guess what? I don't care. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Barry Liga. And I'm Morgan Baden. Let's get started. Hey, Bear, have you looked at a calendar recently? Have I looked at a calendar recently? No, I have not. I advise that you do so because it turns out we are just about a month out from our book being released into the world. <laughs> oh my God. Mm-hmm. September 3rd, The Hive. September 3rd. Which means that I read with interest a Twitter thread from a couple of weeks ago that I came across from Jamie Attenberg, who's an author, um, The Middlesteens, which was a very, very good book a couple of years ago, and then she has a few others. Um, And it's all about, should I talk about what happens when a book comes out? And we'll link to it in the show notes, of course. And she's making light of the situation. So what it feels like to be an author who has a book coming out and about how you get very stressed about one particular thing that's not in your control And then guess what? That gets solved by someone whose control it is under. And so you immediately pivot into something else that you stress about. There's always something to stress about. Always. And um, my favorite one was, there will be a a terrible incident when someone tells you they bought your book used on Amazon or picked it up on a street corner and then they gave it to their wife because they don't read the kinds of books you write. And I thought that was (laughs) funny because already I'm like, oh yeah, I, I have certain people being like, can I get a free copy from you? Can right. I get a copy of the ARC? And, you know, so that's funny. But it ends on a really nice note about how, um, you know, at some point in the future, one reader will be like, hey, that book changed my life or saved my life or deeply affected me or whatever it was. So, like I said, we'll link to it. But I wanted to talk about for you what it feels like when a book comes out and if it's changed over the years. Because for me, um, we're about a month out now, but it was over this past winter where I was at peak anxiety about it. Yeah. Um, suddenly I think the weight of this, this crazy concept of putting a, a book out into the world that you've written and opening it up to criticism and reviews and all this stuff, um, I just started to get super anxious. And obviously there was a lot of other stuff going on. I was getting ready to give notice at my job, which was deeply stressful in another way. Um, and, and there was just some other stuff, but, but I do remember having a conversation back over the winter about the anxiety of, of publishing a book. I'm much more chill right now. I was going to say you are like preternaturally chill right now. (laughs) I am really impressed by how completely, completely unfreaked out you are. Yeah. By, I mean, I got it all this. out of my system six months ago. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you know, you're not going on Amazon to check our early reviews. You're not going on Goodreads. Um, I, I confess, nothing. I have a Twitter thread set up on TweetDeck that's monitoring our names and the name of the book so I can see when new reviews are posted or when people are talking about it. I do not click on the reviews. Yeah. I'll do it someday. I yeah. just, I don't want to read, other than the trade reviews, obviously, Kirkus and PW and all that, right. but I don't want to read readers' reviews of the arc yet. Wow. Number one, because the arc is different than the final book. Yeah. Number two, because I I just want to be excited right now. Wow. 
And so I don't want to get down it. You know, I'm sure there are negative things out there. I'm sure there are positive things out there. I just don't want to know about them yet. Yeah. I'm in this like very safe space right now. No. And it's, it's amazing to behold. Um, you know, I, I am always so, uh, so starved for information at mm. this point that, that I'll look at anything yeah. and I'm sort of telling myself I I have to not do that. You've been sort of keeping a tally of yeah. how many reviews and you'll come to me and be like, Hey, our star ranking is up or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, good. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Yeah. Well, you know, what happened was for a little while there, I was obsessed with it because we had uh, our, some of our first reviews on Amazon from early readers were one-star reviews. Yes. These were not uh, one-star because of the quality of the book. These were one-star because people were not happy with the politics of the book. Yes. Um, which made us happy. Which made us happy. And, <laughs> and I am as proud of those one-star reviews as I am of many five-star reviews in my career. Um, you know, let, let's put it this way. If, if you follow us on Twitter... Um, we the, make no secret. The, these one-star reviews are probably more encouraging to you than five-star <laughs> reviews would be. Um, so yeah, for a while there, I was I was tracking that because I I you know wanted to see oh is this going to be the trend? Yeah. And you know it is not the trend. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, more people on on uh, Amazon, for example, have given us five-star reviews than one-star reviews. Mm-hmm. But it means the average is down because we do have some of these politically motivated one-star reviews, which is fine. People are allowed to not like a book for any reason. Mm-hmm. I think it's sort of ridiculous. Um, and obviously, you know, they, they think they're making a political point. Right. By, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to show these libtards. I'm going to, you know, I'm right. going to own the libs by giving this book a one-star review. Guess what? I don't care. I am proud of your one-star review. You've done nothing to me. Um, but to answer your original question, you know, it's funny because <laughs> I have so many books that are coming out yeah. that it, I almost don't have time to get excited about each one. Yeah. Just in the next couple of months, for example, um, on August 13th, my new Flash trilogy starts. Mm-hmm. Then, what, three weeks later on September 3rd, our book comes out. The week after that, the Mystery Writers of America anthology, Life is Short and Then You Die, comes out with my... Uh, short story, my I Hunt Killers prequel story, Six Ways to Kill Your Grandmother. And so I've got three things coming out. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. And I, I'm like, I don't even know when I'm going to have time to change my Twitter banner, you know, to, to, uh, <laughs> to, to promote them. Release, yeah, yeah, to the latest release. And so, and it's been this way for a few years now where I have multiple books coming out mm-hmm. in a year. And so even as you're beginning to ramp up to get excited for the launch of one book, you're finishing up another book or you're planning ahead to the launch three months later of right. the other book. And, and so the, the bad thing is that, you know, you don't really sort of sit there and steep yeah. in the enjoyment and the experience. Cause you're always thinking, Oh, great. I got to start planning to promote the next one. But the, the good thing is that you don't get caught up in it so much that, um, if something bad happens, you know, you're sort of crushed by the disappointment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was going to say one of the things that's perhaps contributing to my, desire to not look at any reviews and to sort of not worry at this point is because I I'm busy with other things. Yeah. So I turned in one book that's awaiting agent comments. I'm quickly finishing up another that's almost done and I'm trying to get to that 
before the end of the summer. So like there, yeah, right. like I'm just diving in and being busy is the solution. Yeah. To all of these, all of these woes. Yeah. To, to all the woes in in publishing, you know, there are those lulls, those long stretches of time where the book is done, but it's not out yet, and you don't hear from anybody because they don't need to talk to you at that yeah. point. And those are really deadly times for writers because that's when you start to conjure things and worry about things. And instead, if you're working on something, you don't have the time to worry and to conjure because it's a, it's you're a busy nice distraction. working. Yeah. 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 Did you feel, how did you feel when Fanboy and Goth Girl came out, your first book, in the, in the weeks and months leading up to it? You know, it was interesting. I, I talked last time, I think it was on the last episode, where I talked about how I tried to get my publisher not to publish right. it. Uh-huh. Very late in the process, I will, <laughs> I will point out. Um, I was so worried about so many things. Um, you know, on the one hand, there I, I told the story of how I thought, oh, this is a bad book because I'd read it so many times at that point that familiarity definitely bred contempt for my own book. And um, and then the other thing was that I suddenly was worried that Brian Michael Bendis was going to sue me <laughs> over the book. And that really, it literally in the three weeks before the book came out, I was really worried about wow. that. And then uh, and then a friend, a mutual friend told me that he had talked to Bendis and Bendis was fine and not uh, litigious and everything, right, was, everything yeah. was good. So, but for that first book, like suddenly right towards the end, I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get sued. My life is going to be over. <laughs> <laughs> so lit hub has a piece up about breaking down the barrier between YA and adult fiction. Yeah. Um, and what makes a novel for grown-ups versus for young readers, especially when there are tons of, quote, grown-up novels whose main characters are teens or children. So this piece made me think of uh, a podcast episode I was just listening to the other day. So it's one of my favorite podcasts. I don't even know if I've ever talked to you about this, and I don't know if you know about it. This is something that is one of your favorite things, and you have not talked to me about Correct. it. Correct. God, Morgan. It's called Teen Creeps. <laughs> I've never heard of this. It's so good. So it's two women who are, um, I believe they're both comedians, but they're at a minimum both in the like entertainment world. And they go back and reread or read for the first time um, Pulp Horror from like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And then okay. host a podcast episode. And it's themed. So each week is a different book. You can, um, and they announce in advance what the next few books will be. So you can read it yourself if you want to. Um, and obviously, as I'm sure you can imagine, they do books by Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein, which of course sure. I read a ton growing up. It's right in my age range there. They also do, um, some occasional like VC Andrews or uh, okay. even, um, and how I started listening in the first place is because they did a Sweet Valley High episode, um, based on one of the super thrillers. So it's just really fun. And, um, they do some nice sort of analyses of like the genre in those decades and what was happening and, you know, the sort of drug panic after Go Ask Alice and all the books that spun out from that. And anyway, really cool stuff. But they had an episode, episode 150, with a, a special guest, Grady Hendrix, who's an author. And Grady started talking about how before there was young adult fiction, and we know, we you and I know, and most readers know who read YA, that Really, YA was not a thing until, what, the late 90s, early yeah. aughts? Yeah. yeah. But he contends that before there was YA, there was teen fiction. 
and it was called teen fiction. And I started thinking how it's so interesting that I do see some people use those terms interchangeably, but I also see some people deliberately not. And I've even seen authors use, um, I write tween fiction instead of middle grade, (laughs) or I write teen fiction NYA. And know that we've ever sort of parsed those those words or if we need to but i i felt like they're my gut was like oh yeah they're totally different things teen fiction is different than ya and i like teen fiction better and i don't know why (laughs) you know i mean even just the term ya i think is confusing to people outside the industry and i don't blame them because in a cultural sense the term young adult means something different than in book speak. Yeah. You know, book speak is using young adult as a single unit, as yeah. a descriptor, as an adjective, mm-hmm. young adult book, right? Right. Young adult defined, yeah. described book. Whereas in the quote unquote real world, young adult is two words, young adult, young right. describes the adult. Mm-hmm. And so when people say young adult, they're thinking of someone in their twenties. I was going to say, they young... literally mean an adult. So above yes, 18, that is a young yeah. adult, somebody who's in their twenties, somebody who got out of college, yeah. right? That's a young adult. Mm-hmm. And so when you say to somebody, Oh, I write young adult fiction. A lot of times they're like, wait, what are you what talking about? Yeah. What is that? And I'm not sure how we came up with the term YA. Yeah. I don't. I don't know where that came from, or or who who developed it, or anything like that. Uh, and I don't know that it matters. It's the term we're stuck with. Um, you know, I think. I think that there are these all these ways that you can whittle down, um, what what a certain genre or market segment is in publishing. Yeah. And I don't know that it's good to do that. I mean, you could get very specific. You could do tween. You can do teen versus YA. I mean, you can thin slice it all sorts of ways. Uh But at the end of the day, what you're going to end up with is a different shelf in the bookstore and in the library for age 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. And that's ridiculous. Very silly. But we're already at the point where we've got like... Upper YA. Upper YA and lower YA and upper middle grade and lower middle grade. New adult. Literally new adult. Yeah. These are literally some of these categories are like two years yeah, or three years. Like you've got like 10 to 12, yeah. for example, is like upper, upper middle, middle grade, grade uh-huh. which is where I've written all of my middle grade. Uh-huh. It's like, that's crazy that we're defining an entire category for three years. Yeah. It may make sense at that age because there is a big difference between a 12 year old reader and a nine or an eight year old reader. Huge difference. You know, not I mean, just in, in reading levels, but obviously in context and in sure, theme and in context, in, in maturity, obviously there are eight year olds and nine year olds who are very mature who can read Stephen King, obviously, but we're speaking in generalities here and you know, the further, the lower you get down on the, the spectrum of age, you can thin slice it. But I think once you hit like 12, yeah. just everything just, 13 and up is right. YA. It's like just, they're all teenagers. It's just, it's just YA. Yeah. They can handle it or they can't. Yeah. And, and at that point, you know, kids are making a lot of their own decisions about the content they consume. Right. Um, and it, it seems ridiculous to start putting age labels on those things. I'm so curious if I would have listened to any age labels, if, they were, if there were any on books. When I was growing up. I remember when I was a teenager, it was when uh, uh, the comic book industry started looking into um, instituting its own age ranges. Okay. Um, DC Comics was going to do a thing where they were going to have like three age groups and 
And, uh, and I remember being very angry about this <laughs> because uh, I thought this was sort of a form of censorship. And in fact, a lot of writers who were writing for DC at the time said, you're censoring us. You're mm. saying that if we're writing a book that is aimed at a certain age group, we can't tell certain stories. Even, wow. even, even if it would be a good story and one that readers would want to read, you're artificially, you know, yeah. barricading certain stories. And, um, and I remember I wrote a long letter to the people in charge of D.C. telling them, why are you doing this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Wait, how old are you? Oh, I don't know, 15 or 16, oh my something gosh. like that. Um, and, uh, you know, they ended up... Folks listening, <laughs> a letter is sort of like a Twitter thread, but on paper. On paper, yes, yes. And you had to send it through the mail, which involved <laughs> stamps and going to a place that Morgan is afraid of. Um, we will dedicate a whole episode We will to dedicate a whole episode to Morgan's office. fear of the post office. Um, but... You know, they, they ended up doing something where they just sort of put on certain books suggested for mature readers. Uh, and they didn't. And other than that, they didn't really do anything. Yeah. Um, and I ignored it. Yeah. I knew I knew what I could handle. Um, my younger brother, who's four years younger than me, he, there was a comic he wanted to read that suddenly got the mature readers wow. label slapped on it. And the guy at the comic book store <laughs> looked at me and said, can your brother handle this? And I said, yeah. And he sold it to him. Yeah. Um, you know, probably should have asked my parents, but ask me. <laughs> um, so I, I know I wouldn't have paid attention yeah. to, to age. It's funny. Age there labels. was a book that sort of circulated amongst my friends in probably fifth grade that I'll have to, I'll have to look up. I don't remember what it's called. It was deeply traumatic. It was an adult book about um, like a daycare that turned out to be molesting children. Okay. How on earth a group of fifth grade girls were passing this book around to read? I don't know. Was this fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Okay. Fiction. But it traumatized me. Wow. And yeah, I'd like to think that if a label had been on that, that probably would have saved me a little bit of grief when I was 10 years old. (laughs) (laughs) But also then, you know, in seventh grade, I was reading like random Mary Higgins Clark books. Also, you were watching like Children of the Corn when you were a fetus. Seven, I I know. For some reason, listen, like culty possession, not a problem. Child molestation, a problem. Yeah. Anyway. So switching gears to an interesting development over the past week in the publishing industry, which is that the Washington Post announced that their bestseller lists, their book bestseller lists, have been wrong from May 2018 to June 2019. So more than a year. More than a year. The data, The data was wrong. And here's what's so interesting. Number one, I feel like no one's talking about this. Yeah. It's weird. I even have a, again, a Twitter search up for these terms, and it's just sort of like bot news sites that are tweeting about it, but no yeah. one's really engaging or talking about it. Um, and two, I was reminded of the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney. Of course. Of course. Everything directly... goes back to the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney. <laughs> Listen, it goes back to gymnastics. <laughs> of which, course. Yes, everything does go back to women's Olympic gymnastics, my favorite sport, the only sport I watch. Um, anyway, so for those of you who don't know... In the year 2000, on the vault competition for women, the people setting up the gym for, you know, the Olympics, this little competition, messed up and mismeasured the height of the vault. (laughs) So a bunch of gymnasts, A, all the gymnasts warmed up on it incorrectly because it's the wrong height. And then they started the competition and a whole bunch of the world's greatest gymnasts were messing up their vault. 
And after a few people went, the officials like called a timeout and went and looked and they realized they had mismeasured it and blah, 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 blah. But here's the kicker. They didn't throw out the scores. Really? Yes. And it, I mean, can you imagine like being on the Olympics? Sure. And you well, actually up. I can't imagine yeah. being on the Olympics, but I, I take your point. And you get two vaults and you run your first one and you mess up because the vault is broken. And then they discover the vault is in fact broken and that you can redo it, but they don't throw out your first score. Yeah. And how much that messes up your head. Right. So I started thinking about that in regards to this bestseller list controversy because, you know, some careers are like made and broken based on bestseller lists. And here we have an admission that the data is wrong. Right. I think there, there are a couple things that occurred to me in reading this story. First of all, I think the reason nobody is talking about it is because it's the Washington Post. Correct. And I can't remember the last time I saw on a book cover... The Washington Post bestseller. (laughs) Because I would imagine that if you hit the Washington Post bestseller list, you probably also hit the New York Times bestseller list. Right, yeah. And that's all anybody's... Like, when I hit the New York Times bestseller list, I also hit the USA USA Today Today bestseller list. Nobody talks about the fact that I hit the USA Today bestseller list. And this is a segue, but isn't it accurate to say that the USA Today list is actually a better representation of sales than the New York Times? I think... Now, it's been you know, six years since this happened. So I don't remember, but I think the USA Today list is just broken up into fiction and nonfiction. Correct. Not age ranges. Whereas the New York times, like, you know, the New York times breaks it up. They have something like 15 separate lists, which is good from a marketing perspective because it allows more more people to hit the list. But, you know, I think I was number 75 on the USA Today bestseller list, which I was like, whatever, dude. But then I was like, (laughs) wait a minute. That's I was everything. the 75th best-selling book out of all of the, out of all fiction yes. that week, which that I was like, oh, that's pretty good. That's I'll, pretty I'll good. take that. Yeah. Um, so first of all, yeah, I, I think it's the Washington Post, so nobody is really terribly concerned. Yeah. And that's why nobody's talking about it. But what interested me most, and we'll put a link to it in the show note, show notes, was the article that the Washington Post wrote, the correction that they issued to explain this. Yes. It was. It was not signed. <laughs> yeah. It was a single paragraph. At no point do they say, we apologize to our readers right. for this mistake. Uh, this ongoing mistake, this mistake that happened every week for 13 months. At no point do they just issue just an apology. Yep. And also they refer to the fact that they have corrected the charts. Right. But they don't link to the corrected charts. Right. They make you go do the work. There's not a single hyperlink in the entire paragraph Uh to take you anywhere that would be helpful. It's a really weird correction. It is. It's just like it felt very strange reading it. It felt like they were just hoping this would fly under the radar. And it seems like it has. It has. Yeah. Yeah. they, They guessed correctly. So... Parenting updates you want to share? Wins and losses. <laughs> Go. Um, you know, our kids are doing well. Uh, we set up a train table in the basement. Oh, which... such a big win. Here, Listen, here's the truth. My sister gave us, continues to give us tons of hand-me-down toys. Yes. Cool. Two of them were big ticket items. One was a huge dollhouse. Yeah. And one was a huge train table. Yeah. We put together the dollhouse, I don't know, a year ago, two years ago, whatever. Yeah. Great. 
that train table has been sitting up in the attic, aka my office, Since aka the guest room. Probably for close to three years. Yes, yeah. yeah. And we finally put it together on Sunday. Yep. And it was awesome. Our kids love it. It's it's really great. It's terrific. Um, it's really, really it's it's good. It you know, it's funny. I remember when I was probably a, a young teenager hearing my mom talk to a friend of hers. And she was talking about how when I was a kid, she would steal toys of mine and hide them in the closet. Right. And then six months later, take them out. And it was like, oh my God, it was new toys and I'd be happy. And I remember being angry at her. I was was probably wondering where those toys had gone, you know? Um, But it's really smart parenting (laughs) to hide some stuff, to keep it. To keep it in your hip pocket and pull it out. And, you know, it, it, our son, I, I think he was starting to get a little bored with what he had yeah. to offer. Um, he was doing a lot of playing with something for a few minutes and then throwing it aside and moving on to something else. He was looking for something new, something stimulating. Yep. And we put this thing out there and he is just so happy with it. It's really great. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, what else happened parenting-wise? Well, we had mentioned a couple of episodes ago that he would be starting speech therapy. Yeah. He has done that. Um, he had he's, his first session. Yeah, he's doing really well, yeah. so that's good. Um, it is really funny and cute to watch him with with uh, his teacher. Uh-huh. Um, and it's good to see the you know, he's making progress. Yeah. And that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. And our daughter is hilarious. Yes. As usual. Yes. She has taken to spontaneously giving dance recitals. That's true. Actually, I should say, our, my favorite thing about the kids right now uh, in the stage thing, Ryan, is what we shall henceforth call the Watch This concert. Yes. Which is where they both will stand, usually on the floor of the living room, but sometimes just wherever we all happen to be. And we'll take turns saying, Watch this, or in our son's case, Watch this. <laughs> and then they both do a trick. Right. And we have to applaud. Right. And the tricks are usually mm, spinning in a circle. <laughs> spinning or jumping, sometimes falling down. Yeah, sometimes but, jumping off one of their little right. chairs. But sometimes our daughter will give a little dance recital. Yes. She will. It, it is adorable. She gets into it. Yes. But it is truly funny. They will occupy themselves for a solid half hour just standing there saying, watch this, watch this. And we have to say, we have to respond, I'm watching. Otherwise otherwise they'll just keep saying, watch this. Even though they can see that we are looking right (laughs) at them, we still have to respond in order for them to proceed. Yep. Yeah. It's a trip. It is indeed a trip. a book update book update Barry wants to set the record straight yeah I believe yeah I I was uh, I was slandered last your reputation was maligned it was a vicious calumny I'm Mm. gonna say okay Uh, you called me out for reading quote unquote old books (laughs) exclusively And I have here a list of just some of the new books I've read over the past couple of years. Couple of years. Yes. So I want to well, be clear. No, okay. hang on. But you accused me of reading nothing but old books for three years. Okay. So okay. that's why I went back a couple okay. of years. This is not a complete list because I forgot to write down a lot of books. Sure you read, did. So. Sure. Anyway. Uh, As You Wish by Kara Elways. Slider by Pete Houtman. Genuine Fraud by Emily Lockhart. Everything Trump Touches Dies by Rick Wilson. Goodbye Stranger by Rebecca Stead. Twin Peaks, The Final Dossier, and The Secret History of Twin Peaks by Mark Frost. Part of Your World by Liz Braswell. The Outsider by Stephen King. Sleeping Beauties by Stephen King and Owen King. And The Glitch, which I had mentioned previously. So So what's that, like seven books? That's like eleven. Eleven. 
I'm not going to have you mock me. <laughs> not mock I will not have you mock me, woman. <laughs> but other than that, I finished the book that I was reading, and so now I am reading your book. You're, you're you are. Yes, yeah. I am. Yeah. I am. I will say nothing more about it. You should have seen my face for a second, listeners, because I was like, what book? <laughs> it's true. You gave it to me like three weeks ago. <laughs> I've been so busy. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Yeah. So, yes, I'm reading that now. Nice. Yeah. What about you? You reading anything? I just finished Salt Kill Girls by Claire Legrand. It was my first Claire Legrand book. Um, she's YA. She's written a couple of other things. Um I think in a series, this is a standalone. It was so good. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, but really sort of um, creepy, magical, turns wild pretty quickly, but in a really like disturbing, good way. Um, Supernatural, not like, not child molestation. (laughs) Um, So anyway, high recommend. I liked it a lot. Very good. Visit us at writinginreallife.com where you can read show notes for each episode and also leave comments and offer suggestions for the show. Find us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And be sure to visit us on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Mm-hmm.